My brothers and sisters, I don't know that I can promise you that I'm going to give you just a, a nine or ten minute homily today, okay? So Father Mike has got me beat right off the bat. I'm not even going to try, all right? Very important topic to talk about is the arms race and nuclear weapons, weapons of mass destruction in general, okay? You'd include along with nuclear weapons things like biological warfare, intrinsically immoral, very, very, very bad stuff, okay? As a country, we can't meddle with this kind of stuff. It's absolutely wrong, all right? Um, two texts from our scriptures today. It's amazing that the anniversary falls on this day and the lectionary then intersects with it, and it wasn't planned that way. But our psalm is very relevant to this issue because our psalm is talking about justice and peace constantly, which is what the social doctrine of the church focuses on. And uh, there's a beautiful line in our psalm and it says, justice and peace shall kiss. So we have this marriage of justice and peace. They belong together. They're made for each other. And the simple message today is that, my brothers and sisters, we can't have peace if we don't have justice. Really, it's as simple as that. Okay, sometimes we think, well, we're going to have international peace if everybody's happy economically. You know, we just got to strike that right trade deal, and then that's going to bring peace. Right? Isn't that how we think oftentimes? Now, economics are important, and we want everybody to be happy economically, no doubt about it. All right? But that is not the absolute solution to peace. All right? Sometimes we might think, well, this is how we're going to get peace. We're going to stockpile tons and tons of these totally irresponsible, dangerous weapons, and we're going to scare the living daylights out of everybody. We're going to intimidate them into submission, and then that's how we're going to bring peace. Okay? My brothers and sisters, the only way to peace, ultimately, is through justice. We have to do what is right. We have to embrace, as Americans, a fundamentally moral and ethical outlook on life. We have to live our lives ethically, period. And what I mean by that, what is it to embrace an ethical outlook on life? It's really kind of simple. It's something pretty much probably all of our mothers taught us, is that, guess what? There's such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There are some things that are intrinsically wrong, and we can't do them no matter what. No matter what. And again, someone might say, well, that's common sense. And I'd agree with you, but you know, sometimes common sense isn't so common. And if we think about it, oftentimes we, we really fudge on the rules if it's in our interest. And we think oftentimes that the ends justifies the means. That as long as we've, we're doing something good, doesn't matter what we do to get there to achieve that goal. See, that's a fundamentally non-Catholic way of thinking. And in this topic in particular, it's very difficult because, I, you know, I, I do believe, I'm a, I'm a big patriot, and I do believe that uh, the American Revolution, for example, was justified morally, and that uh, America, by and large, has conducted itself, relatively speaking, compared to other countries, in an ethical manner throughout the course of its history, and I'm very proud to be an American. And uh, World War II is something that we should be proud of in the sense that we fought it, 
We really pretty much saved the world from a, a terrible tyrant. So these are all good things, and I'm a patriot. But nonetheless, we need to be self-critical, and we need to say, okay, just because we're going after these guys who are nasty and terrible, we can't do nasty and terrible things, all right, to win the war, to overcome them. And it's kind of hard for us as Americans to accept that it was fundamentally immoral to drop those bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You know, I talked with someone after my homily last night, and she remembers it. I don't know if there's anybody here who's old enough to actually remember when we dropped the bombs. It was back in 1945. She said she was 13 years old, and she says that what she remembers is that everybody was really relieved because it ended the war, right? See, that's a good thing. And uh, our, the leaders of our nation, they, how they reasoned was, we're going to save hundreds of thousands of American soldiers' lives if we drop the bomb on these people, okay? And they're bad guys, they're nasty, they're terrible, so let's do it. That was the reasoning. It was, we're going to do a good thing, so it doesn't really matter how we achieve that good thing, we're going to do it. And it's tough for us as Americans to accept that that was a fundamentally immoral thing that we did. We can never do good if the means of doing good is intrinsically wrong. And the reason why weapons of mass destruction are wrong is because the foreseen and absolutely guaranteed result is the death of non-combatants, huge numbers of non-combatants, okay? So, for example, there was uh, upwards of 300,000 non-combatants who were killed at the dropping of the bomb between the fire bombing of Tokyo and the atomic bomb in Nagasaki and the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. 300,000 innocent people who were not soldiers, they weren't a threat, they're just peasants, they're just normal people, they all died. We killed them all, okay? Because we, were, we thought we were going to do a good thing, all right? And we can never do something wrong, even if we've got a good reason for it, okay? We've got to play by the rules. So there's a difference between whether or not we're justified in entering a war or starting a war, and in this case, I believe, and many Catholic ethicists would believe that World War II was justified. We were justified in entering it and fighting it and winning it, okay? Nonetheless, after you enter into a war, there are rules by which you can conduct, uh, by which you must conduct yourself as a nation after you've entered the war. And you've got to stick to those rules. Otherwise, there's no such thing as total war. You know, some people think, well, as long as we're justified in entering this war, all bets are off. We can do whatever we want to win it. No, no. It is the uh, crass and uh, terrible, terribly insensitive killing of innocent life that is inevitable when we use weapons of mass destruction that makes them intrinsically, intrinsically wrong. And as Americans, that might be hard to accept, but we really do have to accept it, okay? Otherwise, what we fall into is situation ethics. Situation ethics goes like this. Oh, well, that might have been wrong for you, for you to do that in that particular circumstance that you're in, but I'm going to do the same thing. And you know what? It's not going to be wrong for me because, well, I'm special. I have special circumstances, and everybody's unique, and I've got my own life, and I've got my own situation that I'm in, and so 
I think that this is okay for me to do, whatever it might be. It's remarkable how often we fall into that mentality when we lose sight of the norms of true justice. My brothers and sisters, this is not well appreciated and understood, but the fact of the matter is that the Catholic Church is the moral compass for the whole world, not only in principle, but in actuality. For example, the whole history of the development of the uh, what constitutes just war and how even the UN governs itself, it's all Catholic in origin. It's all Catholic thinkers who started to develop these norms, okay? So it's the Holy Spirit guiding the church when we reflect upon international relations back in the 1500s and the 1600s, okay, international law, the concept of international law started to come about. It came about through Dominican, Spanish Dominican theologians, okay? That's pretty much, that's the origin. And then it spread even into the Protestant countries, and it influenced how we conduct international relations. We can never lose sight of the moral compass that the church, that the Catholic church gives to us and to the whole world. As soon as we lose sight of that, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Okay, so second text here, second gospel, uh, second scripture from today is our gospel. And look what's going on here. I think this is a really great lesson for all of us. It's about fear or trust. Fear or trust. The disciples are very much afraid. Jesus is not afraid. Notice how cool the cucumber he is as he's just kind of strolling across the sea with all the storms and all the problems going on. Okay, And the disciples are afraid. And Peter gets out on the water and he doesn't trust Jesus and he starts to slip. He starts to fall. And Jesus says, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? My brothers and sisters, I think oftentimes in our lives, if we examine ourselves and we're honest, I know with myself for sure, I've seen this probably dozens of times would be an understatement, okay? Is we think to ourselves, well, you know, I know what I got to do in this particular situation, what the right thing is, but you know, I think if I do the right thing, it's just not going to work out that well for me. It's not going to be good for me, you know? So I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie. I'm going to do whatever it is. But you see, that motive behind doing something that's fundamentally immoral is a lack of trust, that God doesn't have us and our best interests at heart. He's got us. It's like Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, Peter, I've got you. I've got you. You've got to trust. And so, my brothers and sisters, today it's a simple message. We can believe and we can trust such a beautiful, liberating truth of our faith that as long as we do what is right, ultimately it's going to work out for us and nothing bad is going to happen to us. Now, something bad might happen in the meantime, all right? Someone might not like us. We might get someone upset. We might even get martyred, okay? But I think we know someone else who did what was right and obeyed God, even though something bad happened to him. But what was the ultimate outcome of that? Nothing short of resurrection life from the dead, okay? So we have that faith that ultimately, as long as we obey God and we abide by the norms of justice, Nothing bad is going to happen to us. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's that fundamental challenge 
that we as individuals and as a nation have to embrace if we're going to conduct ourselves rightly in international politics. Now, a final thought, and I'll leave you with this, is there's kind of two errors that we've got to avoid. On the one hand, we can think to ourselves that there's no difference between me as an individual moral agent and how states should conduct themselves. That's not true. These are two different things. So if you're a statesman, sometimes you have to make decisions that are in a totally different ethical realm than you as an individual private citizen. Okay, so there is a difference. I mean, the, the big difference being that St. Paul says in Romans chapter 13 that the state actually bears the sword on behalf of God. And so that the state actually is a minister of God's justice. Okay, so it has a certain kind of divine authority. It's endowed with that kind of authority. No individual you know, as a private moral agent or as a private citizen has that kind of authority. So there is a difference between how states conduct themselves and how we as individual Christians conduct ourselves. Nonetheless, the other opposite mistake is to think this. Oh, when it comes to politics, we leave our Christianity at the door. Okay? You know, how many people conduct themselves that way when it comes to business? Right? I'm a Christian on Sunday, but when it comes to business, you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta do what it takes, you know? You gotta do what it takes. How, how easy is it to fall into that kind of thinking? And so also with our politics. We cannot leave the gospel at the door when we do politics. And there are certain ways and modes that the individual Christian conducts himself according to which that really are applicable to states as well. So sometimes, as individual Christians, you know what? We've, we've got to let ourselves be weak We've got to sometimes give up power, okay? We've got to take the risk sometimes of letting someone hurt us because you know what? That risk is absolutely necessary if trust is going to be built between us and another individual. Sometimes we've got to do that as a country as well. And that's, what, uh, that's, that's applicable to the issue of disarmaments, all right? We have to, as a country, build trust and sometimes we've got to take risks. Maybe we've got to take the first step in disarmament. Now, it doesn't mean we've got to get rid of all our nuclear weapons right away. We can kind of do it in a st staggered and, you know, stepwise fashion. But maybe we've got to be the ones that say, you know what? If I get rid of a certain amount of our nuclear weapons, let's, let's make a deal. You do it. If I, I'll do it first. You see, it's taking a risk. It's trust. It's not hiding behind the wall of fear, okay? And so sometimes we've got to do that if we're going to build trust and if we're going to have true understanding and dialogue. That's the only way, my brothers and sisters, we're going to survive. We can't just stockpile weapons of mass destruction and think that the world is not going to one day spin off into total chaos, okay? So let's pray. Today, let's pray for our fellow human beings in Japan. Okay. To this day, 75 years later, there are people being born with birth defects in Japan because of what we did 75 years ago. Can you imagine that? Okay. So let's pray for them. And uh, let's take today as an opportunity to reflect upon how we as a nation and as individuals should relate to other countries and to our neighbors, to one another, in a way that promotes both justice and peace.